Well, good afternoon, everybody. I am super excited to talk to uh, George Pino, who's with CBI in beautiful LA. And I've, I follow your partner, uh, Joe, on social media, and he posted a picture of Santa Monica the other day. Yeah. And I thought, I might, I might need to come work with you guys in LA. I'm, I well, might be relocating to LA one of these days. It's one of the main reasons to be here is, uh, you know, the weather, the view, uh, the lifestyle. It's amazing. I mean, obviously, a lot of companies have uh, made that decision, um, you know, and, and for the most part for us, you know, the negatives, uh, the positives outweigh the negatives here. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful place to be in, I'm sure. So I'm I'm very uh, envious and and excited. I'm excited to talk to you, uh, given your 35 years of experience in commercial real estate. We were talking before this about how you have offices uh, all over North America, one in Bangladesh, one in Toronto. So you've got some global exposure uh, to go with uh, with all your experience. Uh, so really excited to jump into uh, the the differences between buying and leasing commercial or industrial real estate. And I I'd also just want Want to encourage anybody that's tuned into this live if you have any questions for george please put it in the chat as we're going through this we'll try to answer as many questions as we can and i'm sure george is a lot like me we'll answer any question we we possibly can within reason of course but fire anything at us we always love a challenge uh so again feel free to put any questions but the, the first one that i want to jump into you with george is is and I'll tee this up by perhaps describing the the in, industrial and commercial landscape from my standpoint, where a lot of large companies actually intentionally lease their real estate, mm -hmm. whereas it's no secret that there's also been a lot of companies and investors that have become very wealthy by owning real estate. So in the context that some com companies intentionally lease and some companies intentionally buy, how would you describe the differences from either a financial standpoint or even just a standpoint of operationally uh, setting up your company to either mm -hmm. be a tenant or, or, or a buyer? No, a absolutely. You know, I think I think being a tenant or a buyer, really, a lot of it depends also on the, the business itself, what type of business that they're in. You know, there are a lot of benefits to leasing, which is why the majority of companies do that as well. But there's also a lot of benefits for ownership. You know, studies have shown that, uh, you know, more and taking this away from the commercial real estate or business, more millionaires in the United States have been created by real estate. And, you know, if you expand that scale, it goes, the logic would go to say that, you know, businesses can replicate the same thing in that, you know, as long as they don't lose the core, um, the site of their core business, that, you know, having real estate holdings can actually help them grow and create more wealth or value to the company as well. Um, you know, the main negatives, uh, you know, for leasing is that, of course, you don't really build anything, you don't own anything, but you have a lot of positives there. You know, it tends to be a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more leeway in both, um, you know, size, you can expand and contract a little bit easier. Um, not have to worry about other, um, you know, bringing in other tenants if you have to contract or, or moving someone out or waiting for someone else in that aspect. Also, um, what I think is really key and important these days when we start talking about workforce housing and where the employees are coming from, it allows the uh, company to be a little bit more nimble and move around, you know, where the industry may follow, whether it's, you know, especially for office or so where, you know, um, a few years back we had. Uh, you know, it was Silicon Valley 10 years ago. And then about six, seven, eight years ago with Snapchat coming in, it turned into Silicon Beach down in Los Angeles. And, you know, and now you have a whole space industry as well that's growing around Hawthorne um, in that Hawthorne LAX area. But in addition to that, you're starting to see that out in Austin and Houston. But it allows companies to be, if you're leasing a property, it allows you to move a lot quicker and a little bit more nimbly where the businesses may be at as well. Yeah, that's very well said. And I'm, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think that being nimble is is very important for a lot of corporations that, that they need to adjust and adapt when the situation changes. So on, on that note, if for, for people that, are, that aren't familiar with it, on that, on the other side, if you own the property, why, why is, why do you have less ability to maneuver quickly if you own it versus leasing it? Well, a lot, a lot of that is the number one is that you are in the building. You don't, it, it's most businesses don't want to be landlords. You know, that's not their core business. They, their core business is whether it's 
sales, distribution, um, retail, whatever it may be, that's their core business. They don't want to have to get into a role where they're playing landlord that also exposes them to potentially other risks um, from lawsuits, from tenants and things um, along those lines. So um, they want to use the space that they own. It makes perfect sense to do that. So it because of that, they tend to get a little bit more short-sighted in that, you know what, we own this building, we're going to stay here. This is our building, as opposed to looking at other options that might be better for the business in general. Um, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, owning property can be extremely profitable and very good for the right type of companies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, the, the main issue with going in and purchasing a, a, a property is it does tie up a lot of liquidity. You know, it ties up a lot of your capital that you have to come in at. But there's a lot of benefits to that ownership. You know, you're building equity over time. Your balance sheet can be adjusted. You can also then in lean times, if for some reason the market's going out, you can tap into that equity by either uh, refinancing or or, um, taking cash out. You can also sell the property and do a sale lease back. Um, So it can be a big cash infusion. You also see a lot, you know, the, the especially if they're doing accelerated depreciation schedules, the depreciation can be a better tax write-off than the rent payments. So it depends on what the type of property, where you're at, and really what you're looking to do. I mean, which is why I think, you know, um, Amazon being one that, you know, they're the, logistically speaking, the logistics of warehouses and distribution are not going to change dramatically because now you're looking at having to affect a whole industry as far as, you know, rail railways. You know, um, you, you need to have railways, ports. You know, there are a limited amount of those that are there. So if you're going into an area, you know, with a pretty high likelihood that you're probably not going to move. You may need more space, but you're not going to move out of the area. So it makes perfect sense for them to acquire those properties, at least initially. Um, you know, they have a lot of capital and cash um, uh, on hand as well. So they can. it's not that they're worried about liquidity issues. Um, it's a perfect opportunity for someone like an Amazon to come in, buy the property, depreciate it out as much as they can, get the tax benefits off of that. But then once the depreciation, maybe take a look back at the investment and do a sale lease back. So they're still in there. They're strong enough to attract investors. Um, you know, they're, I think they're what... Uh, Oh, don't quote me. I think it was triple B plus rated right now. Or, um, but so they're strong enough to um, bring in actual investors looking for more of an institutional type investment sale uh, purchase, and at and get good cap rates for that because of who they are. So it makes perfect sense for them to do something along those lines. Yeah, and it's so interesting that you brought up Amazon because uh, you're right. They they have made a shift in their in in their strategy away from being predominantly tenants in the in the buildings that they occupy to now chasing ownership and it's it's like you said if they know that they're going to be in there for a, for a while uh and they have a ton of money sitting in reserve why not deploy it to actually own some of it versus just being a, a tenant on that uh there, there's a couple things i wanted to explore uh in what you brought up there uh, uh one being the sale lease back uh i've i've just Grabbed it a couple times on my channel, but I, I think getting your perspective on it will will help round out that story as well. So, but before we get to that one, uh, perhaps we could even just talk about the exercise that you would go through with a company that has that is considering leasing a property or buying. What what's what's the typical exercise that you'd walk through with them to make for them to make the best decision they can? Well, uh, number one, first and foremost, um, we really don't talk about the now um, because this is something with special when it's coming into the future it's going to be more about what are your plans for the future for the property itself because we're looking at a much longer term hold is this a growth business where you're going to need a lot more space in which case you know there are still ways to go about that where you can acquire buildings um, or uh, parcels with multiple buildings that you can that are partially leased out that you can then take over as you grow into it um, but really, it's it's understanding their business, what their goals are, what they're looking to do, how how is that business going to apply, and then talking about well, what what are the effects? I mean, the immediate effect is yes, you're going to tap into cash reserves. Can you do that? Um, are you going to need it, or you know, in, especially in this economy coming up with rising interest rates, um, and not just rising interest rates, but you know, everything in general. I mean, oil 
we keep talking about gas prices, but gas prices and, and, and inflation. I mean, right now we're seeing an unprecedented inflation uh, index in the last, the, you know, over the last 40 years. But at the same time, what a lot of, and we're seeing gas right now as, you know, that's been a lot of big talk, but gas affects everything or oil affects everything. Um, you know, when it comes to our distribution, comes to the manufacturing, comes to, um, you know, just any and everything. So it's a matter of understanding what are your goals, short term, medium term, long term. And then does it make sense then at that point? Because and then we can then financially model out, you know, here's what it would be if you were renting. Here's what it would be if you're purchasing a property. But in addition to that, you're going to have also have some tax benefits as well. Um, as well as gain on equity that you don't necessarily realize on your income, but you will see it on your balance sheet. Um, you know, because if you're financing most of the properties, which most companies do, um, you know, you're, you're part of that payment that they're making every month to the mortgage company or the bank goes to pay down the loan. So you're building that equity as well, which will show up on your balance sheet and strengthen it down the road. Yeah, I love that point about uh, extrapolating that out beyond just the short term. You're 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 getting a property to satiate your short term needs. Yeah. You obviously have a need for that property, so that's that's affecting what you need right now. But it's much more important from a financial standpoint to envision how that's going to look on a side by side basis ten years out. So I, I think that that's a fantastic point. Uh, on on the financing side, what are you seeing for? Call it a well-capitalized company that that has that that would be a, a good borrower. What are you seeing right now in terms of what those companies can get uh, in in mortgage rates and terms uh, in the market right now? You know, uh, <laughs> that's a loaded question, Chad. Especially <laughs> oh, yeah. considering what's happened uh, with the you know twenty-five basis point jump, yeah. and they're also talking about a fifty basis point jump as well coming up in the next and and what is that May fourth? Yeah, um, coming up, but. Um, you know, the, the nice part is that typically speaking, when the feds do raise rates, you know, a lot of the indices that the commercial real estate loans use are not tied directly to that, but more to the 10 year treasury, which is not as volatile. So we're still still seeing some pretty decent rates, um, you know, right now, um, you know, if they're well capitalized, strong, and, and I'm not talking about going SBA, which, you know, is limited to the amount of money that you can put down into um, uh, a property, but I'm talking about larger companies um, that are well capitalized, putting down, you know, typically 35% down um, and, and going into it. We're looking at interest rates that are probably just in the low fours right now yep. um, on a 10, you know, and, and that's, that's, you're looking at a 10 year, seven to 10 year fixed due in 10, which is typical for commercial with a 25 year am or amortization. Yep. Um, uh, schedule and you know and then but depending on the type of property as well um, you might be able to get a little bit more uh, and a little bit better rates and depends on who the person or the company is as well you know I, an Amazon or a Microsoft coming in generally will get a little bit favorable more favorable rates um, also if they're looking at really long-term um, holds and they know for sure that they're going to stay they may go for a yield maintenance loan which is going to reduce your you know interest rate by typically 25 to 50 basis points. And, but at the same time you have yield maintenance though, which um, for those that, that uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if the, uh, your the entire audience is familiar with it, but it's essentially guaranteeing the interest rate for the term of that loan. So, you know, um, you're in many cases, if you sell the property early or have to get out of it early, um, your prepayment penalty may be higher than the loan amount. <laughs> so, yeah. So you need to have a long-term commitment if you're doing that. Long-term commitment and good capital reserves. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about interest rates actually, because I, I think that that is a, a pretty interesting thing to watch. Uh, you you started uh, 35 years ago, so you've seen some ups and downs in interest rates. We we were essentially at zero uh, for the longest time, and mm -hmm. now the the Feds have no choice but to start getting some upward pressure on interest rates to just combat inflation. Now and we're also like that the the bond curve is at risk of of inverting the two and ten year Absolutely. curve could probably invert yeah. like this week or next week yeah. and that's been historically a pretty accurate uh, predictor of a recession. So how how do how do you wrap your mind around right now? Inflation's crazy, seven point nine percent in February. Mm -hmm. uh, interest rates are starting to increase, and there's a recession looming. How do how do you reconcile all this right now? Well, reconcile it in which way. 
mentally <laughs> how, do you, how, do you, how do you just wrap your head around it well it's not really coffee and tea right no i'm just I'm joking. Uh, you know it, it's there is a lot going on and you know i and and what i also like to explain to my clients as well is you know i don't necessarily have a crystal ball um, but what we do have is historical experience and you know past experience of what we've seen you know i've been able to uh and, and you know knock on wood here uh su successfully survive two of the largest downturns in the real estate market uh, and actually do quite well during those term times um some would argue that you know even during covid was kind of a little bit of a downturn i don't know necessarily on pricing but a lot with the rent collections and things like that and you know if you were doing any kind of leasing that came to a complete halt and uh, stand still during COVID for the most part. And so, you know, we've been able to see that and, and see. So, you know, what we have to do is really trust our his, historically, you know, what does happen. And, you know, ultimately business continues. So there's always going to be opportunity in business that is going to grow and uh, continue, whether it's a down market or an up market. It's just harder to find that. And that's where it's really understanding what can and cannot happen you know a lot of what i go to goes back to my uh and and surprisingly you know after it's been 35 years since i graduated i went into this industry right after college um but my econ classes uh you know they drilled into my head supply and demand supply and demand mm -hmm. and really that's a lot of it is you know what when you start looking at it it's it's it sounds simplistic but it's a little bit more than that it's not just the supply and demand but i mean that is the ultimate kind of curve, but we have to now take into account, well, what is going to happen and use our logic to the logic and history of what we anticipate with high interest rates going up, um, high inflation going up. What are we going to do? How is that going to combat? Where are we seeing things? I mean, I think um, some of the issues have to do with uh, and, 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 you know, the, the, the fact is, you know, the more we pay people right now in an inflationary market is not necessarily going to be the, the, the cure. Because, you know, you keep putting money out, it doesn't stop inflation. If, if anything, it's going to add to it. It could devalue it. The risk that we um, look at going into, which is why the Fed's taking steps right now, is and, and nowhere. I'm not one who traditionally I'm very optimistic. So I'm not saying this is a good likelihood or even a likelihood. But, you know, hyperinflation has, has happened historically in many countries when they don't check the inflationary pressures. So looking at that, we have to kind of figure out, well, what can we then do with the business? Um, when is a good time? Is it a good time to take uh, advantage of this now or not? And really, that depends, again, going back into understanding the business, because I don't think there's necessarily a good time or a bad time to purchase properties um, or, or consider leasing properties or purchasing it. It really depends on what your needs are at that time. You know, the the the. You know, I mean, I guess a simplistic viewpoint would be a bad time to sell would be if you're going to lose money. Uh, but uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I get this all the day, every day with different clients saying, you know, I think there's going to be a downturn in the market. Should I? I don't want you know, I, 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 I want to wait for that to happen. I've had clients. I, I met with a uh, friend of mine who's a, a rather large developer. Um owns 40 uh, shopping centers throughout uh, the Southern California market. And we we're laughing and joking around. I said, well, have you bought anything? He goes, I've been waiting for this market to crash for the last 10 years, I've been saying. And, you know, but he hasn't bought a thing because of that, but he's okay. You know, everything he owns is free and clear. It's all cash flowing. Um, and, you know, when things do go down, he, he's the first one to step up with a lot of cash buying it. Um, and that works for him. So, you know, is it a good time? At the same time, I know that he's missed out on many deals yeah. that could have made him, you know, millions of dollars in a short period of time because he thought there was going to something was going to happen. Ultimately, I think if you stick to the basics of the real estate and you really delve into it and look at the location, the business, the fundamentals, the rents, what's happening in, in you know, who your tenant base is, um, if it's for an investment or if it's for your company, and then base that off your financials. Is this a good time to buy? That's going to give you your answer. That's really when it is. I, I timing the market. You know, um, I think the Rockefellers once said this. Um, you know, they said, you know, how do you? Someone asked them, how do you time the market? How how do you time the real estate market? And they said, if you never sell, you don't have to time it. You know, so you can buy in the up market, buy in the down market, 
typically speaking, real estate does appreciate in some markets a lot more than others. And uh, and there are also ways to create that appreciation uh, by manipulating, using leases, bringing in different tenants, things like that. That was very well said. You packed a ton of value into, into oh. that. Uh, so I still do want to get into the sale lease back. So yep. don't let me forget that. But I, I, I just want to keep going on that train of thought that you're with there. Uh, so going back to the to the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, that hit everybody. Like that that was a recession that was felt in every corner of the, of the world. How did you navigate that? And do you see similar two part question? Do you see similarities to today's market with heightened uh, asset values on everything, stocks, real estate? Uh, do you see a similar bubble developing? Uh, and and if so, any guesses uh, on what you see unfolding as we go into twenty twenty two here? Yeah, you know, I what what happened in two thousand eight. I think there. I mean, there was a, a few different things that were coming in and that came involved, including a lot of it was the banking industry itself. Which, you know, surprisingly, we see that, and that tends to be a lot of um, brings a lot into the recessionary for real estate. You know, we saw that with the savings and loan crisis back in ninety three, ninety four, um, ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, with the SNLs and going and and uh, you know that collapsing, FDIC stepping in. You know, our, um, RTC, the Resolution Trust Corporation, coming in to sell tens of thousands of homes that were foreclosed upon. Um, so we see a lot of this um, on the real estate side when the banking industry changes and, and fluctuates. Looking at what's happening right now, I mean, they're still doing fairly well and still strong. They're also um, learning a little bit <laughs> to some extent of the mistakes that they've made in the past because, you know, ultimately, yes, banks do want to make money, but at the same time, they want to stay in business. You know, it makes no, it doesn't matter how much money that you make right now during the uptimes, if you're out of business on the next downswing. So they have to be smart about it and mitigate their risks um, by structuring loans a little bit differently. Um, I do see that there are some similarities in that um, there are a lot of uh, investors that are really looking, they're probably more speculators kind of jumping um, on the bandwagon. This was probably a little bit more um, last year than it is right now at this market where, you know, people were just jumping in saying, you know, I know XYZ who bought this property and sold it for this. They're hoping for that appreciation. I myself tend to look at it with, um, with my clients and also with my own investments as, you know, I go into it, is it cash flowing? What's my return going to be? What's my expected return? If it appreciates, if it appreciates organically, that's a bonus, hmm. you know, because I know going into it, this is my return. This is what I'm expecting. This is what uh, I, I, I will do even with vacancies. You know, if I get a 10% vacancy, what's my return going to be? Model it out completely. I do a full underwriting that um, is uh, relatively in depth. Now, there are some cases where we're doing ACK rehab or acquisition rehab where, you know, I'm looking at appreciation for that but i'm looking how am i going to create that appreciation i'm not hoping for it i have a game plan whether it's going in uh, blending extending leases to create more value on a single tenant net lease asset or a warehouse or industrial asset you know because a lot of what people investors are buying are not just the property but they're also buying the guarantee on the lease and the cash flow stream Yep. So, you know, we take a look at it every which way we can. I, you know, I look at the cash flow stream. I run a discount rate on that. And that gives me today's value. Then I compare it to what is the uh, value of the property? What's the value of the land? And, you know, am I actually ahead of the game or not? So, you know, a lot of that is just your research and history and uh, really understanding that market and delving into it. If you do that, there is no bad time to buy. It's just finding the right properties. Yeah, I love it. And and I really enjoy how you say that market appreciation is a bonus because I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like that, that it's it's impossible to predict. You just hope that it maybe keeps pace with inflation, or or perhaps if you buy the right property, it maybe goes up uh, a multitude of inflation, but that's a bonus. You should mm -hmm. really be buying on the fundamentals of the property. What's your cash flow? What are you paying down in principle? Uh, th those are all the factors that that really tie into a well-played uh, investment decision. So I, I, I saw Darren jumped in, loved the discussion. Thanks for joining in, Darren. If you have any questions that pop up, uh, please feel free to ask. Uh, I, I have a, another question for you, George, and I, I will get 
get to the silly spec, I promise. Uh, but where you, you mentioned that your your model for buying properties, where are you seeing opportunities or where are you looking right now to to invest? Well, you know, um, we had a pretty good sized portfolio of multifamily real estate. Um, and, you know, frankly, it got to the point where and I like multifamily and I think multifamily it can be a good investment. It's also a good hedge against inflation because the leases tend to turn a little bit more and you can capture a little bit more of the uh, rental increases versus a commercial property, which will typically have a five year lease term if it's a mom and pop multi-tenant is going to be a five or 10 year lease term. So and with less uh, rental increases than historically, you know, that, that we're seeing right now. So it's It's not as good of a hedge of inflation at the same time though. Um, multifamily does come with, a, well, to me, a headache of management. <laughs> so even if you hire an outside management company, it still takes a lot of time to make sure they're doing the right thing, taking care of it. And they're actually not dipping their own hands into your pocket to supplement their own income. Um, we have and what i do a lot with is single tenant net lease and a lot of this and and i see there's a lot of opportunity for single tenant net lease because you know it it's with single tenant net lease especially on the retail side a lot of that boils down into the basic real estate fundamentals of location 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 i mean we see a lot of investors that may jump into it and just go off the cap rate and say oh this one's paying a better cap rate and they go in there um, I delve into the location model because, you know, there, if you look at retailers, they traditionally want to be on a hard corner, which is a signalized intersection. So there's only four of those. There may be 20 other lots all between the blocks, but there's only four corners. Um, and then there are, believe it or not, better corners than others. And then the idea is, and what we're looking at is, you know, some of the plays are short term. Uh, some are long-term for us. You know, we purchased one that was a long-term off a 1031 exchange last year that frankly, you know, it's a nice corporate guaranteed fast food restaurant. Um, best thing for me to happen would be that they go out of business. Um, unfortunately not going to happen, um, (laughs) there. Uh, but I knew that going in and, you know, I was okay with it because I was replacing it with a property that I was making less money on. Um, so, and, and we also increased the basis. So we had a bit, little bit better depreciation. Um, so overall the returns actually jumped up by about 26%, um, uh, year over year. So that was a no brainer for us to do. The other property, um, that, uh, recently acquired as well. I knew going into it that it was going to go dark in, uh, two months after we bought it. Um, and a lot of times that scares people. But I have a national bank guaranteeing the lease for the next seven and a half years. Um, That allows me, and and for me, it was about the location, 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 location. I knew this was a good location. So typically it takes upwards about a year or so to find a new tenant for a single tenant at lease location or so. Um, We can now take our time, find the right tenant that we want, bring them in, and then do a buyout of the lease, typically 65 cents on the dollar. Um, you know, I think there's two and a half million dollars of rent left on the last seven years. So if I find a tenant tomorrow, I should be able to buy them or meaning not me buy them out, but they'll buy out of the lease by offering me about 1.5 million cash. And I can use that money to then reposition that property to with the new tenant. So that's something to look at. Also looking at, uh, you know, we I keep track of all the up and coming brands, whether, you know, whether they are um, QSRs, whether they're um, industrial, uh, you know, retail, general retail, or even medical, you know, like you have a lot on the single tenant net lease side, you know, a couple of growth industries right now is, um, you know, the dialysis companies, as well as um, urgent care, you know, as Mm -hmm. are, and, and this is a matter of looking at, well, what's happening within the economy itself. You know, these are one recession proof. People get sick, whether it's a recession or not. Uh, They need dialysis, whether it's a recession or not. Um, In addition, they're hard to replicate location wise and build out wise. Cost to build out's a little bit higher. Um, So these can be good, safe, long term investments. At the same time, we're looking at, well, what else is happening within like 
Um, a few years ago, I was really pushing a company called Raising Canes to my clients. They were trading at the five and a half caps plus five and a half to 5.75. This was only two and three, two, three years ago. They had under 400 locations. They've now since become a national brand opening up in, you know, um, prime locations. They're actually doing a pretty good job. They just opened one up in uh, uh, Times Square in New York. They have one in Waikiki now. Um, and, you know, these are their flagship type locations to build the brand, but they're doing a great job. They also got a PE coming, uh, uh, some good money that's behind them as well. Um, they're trading at four caps now, four, four and a quarter caps. You know, in some cases in Los Angeles submarket, sub four caps. Hmm. So, you know, a lot of my clients have immediately received a 20, 25% appreciation in just two years. Um, and a lot of that is really earmarking, well, here's what we think and why this is a brand to invest with. And that's how you can kind of create value. Um, the other way to create value for a lot of this uh, in, in this market as well, um, especially and this is why we like single tenant at least so much, is that changing out tenants. You might have a great location that has historically been a long term. Let's say it's a. Um, I'm not going to name names, but uh, uh, let's say it's a QSR that may be a dying brand. Um, you know, their sales have historically been going down over the last few years. They're not doing as well as the other uh, quick service restaurants, but it's a great location. And because of that, there might be a good opportunity to go, go in, take the risk, hoping that they fail or short term that they're going to be done and just get them out and then reposition them with more of a national tenant. That's a growth tenant that you can then immediately, you know, you're buying at a six and a half cap or six and a quarter cap, and then you're immediately restructuring the lease and or bringing somebody in and purchasing it at uh, uh, or selling it at a four and a quarter, four and a half cap. You know, there's a company out there that does quite a bit of this, um, literally thousands of this with CVSs, you know, mm -hmm. going in, um, restructuring the leases and doing that. And, I mean, it's a little bit more complicated. They are able to successfully do it because of the size they are. You know, most mom and pops coming in, a lot of CVS, well, they don't want to deal with it on a one-off. But when you own 300 locations and say, I want to restructure it like this, they tend to listen. You know, they'll work with you, listen, and you can structure something that, that works well for everybody. And they create value. I mean, literally, they don't build anything. They buy properties of short-term leases, restructure them, and sell them. That's their business model, and they do extremely well in downtimes and in uptimes. Yeah, it's, it's a great and powerful message that there's opportunities to have success in this industry, uh, irrespective of the economy, as long as you're looking for opportunities and you're looking for areas where you can add value. And maybe that's a natural transition where we can get into the sale leaseback. Uh, so I think sale leasebacks is actually an incredible opportunity for both the investors that buy it, as well as the companies that, that want to sell and simultaneously enter into a lease agreement. At, at, at a high level, how would you describe a sale lease back to another two part question? How would you describe it to an investor and how would you describe it to the company that will ultimately be the seller and then the, the, the tenant? Well, if I'm describing it to the investor, I think that it, uh, you know, one of the concerns that most investors have is the risk that's coming going into a, a property with who the tenant is. A lot of times commercial leases don't allow you to see the financials of the tenant, and what's happening. You also, when you're buying a property, don't have the opportunity to necessarily negotiate the lease out itself. It's kind of a, you know, I'm inheriting it. This is what it is. So going in as an investor now, and, and I'm not saying this is carte blanche to write whatever you want, but it does give you, it mitigates the risk because it's a proven location. They've been occupying it. The tenant knows that this works for them. They've been there for X amount of years, uh, in many cases, decades. Um, at the same time, going into it then, so you've mitigated that risk. But at the same time, you're also looking at, you know, here are, uh, you have the opportunity to actually delve into the books of the tenant. Take a look at them, who they are, you know, how strong are they? What, uh, you know, where is their business actually at? Are they doing this for expansion purposes or are they doing this because they're really hurting? And if they are hurting, is the cash infusion of the sale going to help? So this allows you so much more insight as an investor than just buying a property that is already occupied that has a lease in place. 
Um, it also allows you to negotiate the lease a little bit, which can make for a little bit more favorable terms. You know, just remember that if you're an investor, there's a give and take. You can't ask for everything and expect not to give anything. Um, and now coming in, if I'm speaking to a client that's looking at a sale lease back, you know, there's multiple reasons for them to consider this. Number one may be that, you know what, at this point, it's costs more. Um, you, know, you don't have the tax benefits as, as much. Well, let's say they've depreciated the structure out um, and they have, you know, zero basis or very little basis. They're not getting as much of the tax benefits that they could have had. Um, it also is an opportunity for them to free up capital to, to expand um, or shore up the books for refinancing, repositioning their debt, however it may be. Um, it allows them a lot more opportunity to restructure it so that they can actually grow a little bit more or take on, you know, uh, maybe they want to sell to replace and, and use the equity to pay off debt so that in a down market, they're a little bit safer to the um, the fluctuations that are happening in sales and whatnot. So there's so many more opportunities there. And a lot of it really depends on who they are and what they're what they're looking to accomplish. So, you know, generally speaking, clients that come to us wanting a sale lease back already understand this. They see, you know, they, they understand the benefits. They've had their conversations with their um, CFOs and, you know, explain what's going on. Um, at the same time, though, there's a lot of times where, you know, we're talking to someone and say, you know, especially more of the mid-sized companies, more mom and pop mid-sized companies, um, you know, they all of a sudden, they, it, it's like a light clicks off like, oh, you know what, actually, I can take advantage because, you know, just like we said earlier, there's always opportunity in down markets. Well, there's a potential opportunity in the down market if you have the capital to be able to tap into companies that may be hurting more and grow your company and have synergies of scale that way. So uh, it could be a lot easier than breaking into a sub-market. So if you really feel that can happen in your market, this may be a good opportunity to sell, have the cash on hand to be able to react quickly to opportunities that do arise. Yeah, uh, well, very well said. You're, you've clearly said that to a number of people because you, that just <laughs> came right off the tongue so naturally. Uh, but it, it really is a, a great win-win situation, is exactly as you said. An investor can open the, the trunk uh, or open the hood to see what's what's yeah. under there and really do a full analysis uh, of the company, have confidence in who they're getting in. They're going to have a tenant that has been in the building for a long time uh, that uh, clearly has a need for that building and has worked well for them. Uh, and then on the tenant side, they can utilize that cash to do anything. They can deploy it to other investments or mm -hmm. shore up their balance sheet. There's so many things that they can do. So really is a win-win situation if it's structured correctly. Uh, a quick question on that. If you are an investor looking to purchase a sale lease back, uh, uh, where can you find those? And if you're a tenant or an owner that wants to become a tenant and do a sale lease back, how do you start that process? Hmm. Um, ultimately how to find them good broker. <laughs> I mean, really it, it, it is very true. I mean, the brokerage community, um, even though there are different databases that are out there that allow for some transparency for what's on the market, the brokerage community really understands who's out there and what's going on. They also can many times, I mean, and I, I see this happen all the time with my agents when they're just having lunch together or having a discussion and they're like, oh, you know what? I actually may have a client that could work for that, could sell or do this or what, and they start talking again. So a lot of that is understanding, you know, the, the agents that have worked with these companies that have uh, represented them on the acquisitions, um, you know, they may know that if they're, they might, it might be the time to sell. You know, one of the things that we do as well on the brokerage side of life is that we're always evaluating, you know, when is a good time? What's the opportunity? What's the lost? Op what's the opportunity cost of not selling? And then what is the opportunity if you do sell right now? Meaning, you know, I, I already know, you know, if I go back in a, a client's been occupying a property for 15 years, you know, their basis and depreciation is probably low. They might have better tax benefits from leasing. Um, and, you know, they may have a lot more capital that's tied up that, it, you know, because at a certain point, your interest is a write off on the mortgage. But at a certain point, you're paying off more of the equity than you are interest. And that's not a write off. 
So you, it, a lot of that is just taking a look at the financial picture and understanding that. So if I have clients that we've sold properties to, I also understand that there may be opportunities for them on a sale leaseback. Um, so if you talk to the good, uh, good brokers or brokers that understand the market, know what they're doing, um, have uh, experience in this, they should be able to help find you those as well. Yeah. And if I can add to that as well, because I had a conversation with someone the other day about this point and, and they said that they've reached out to a number of brokers and asked to get put on their list to get sent stuff and they never see anything. And what, what I advised him, he's in a completely different market than me, but I advised him, you have to go beyond just calling a broker or sending an email saying that this is what you're looking for, because a good broker, like you're saying, probably has a list of a dozen plus people that are all looking for the exact same thing. And this is, these are people that that person has done deals with they know them well uh they've they have a relationship with them if all you're doing is sending an email out to that broker and saying you'd like to get properties from them you're probably going to be triaged quite low on the list of priorities so go go one step beyond just ask reach out to a broker in your area or, or someone that you want to get to know if you can get a warm introduction like you if you, if you know an, mm-hmm. a lawyer an accountant you could ask them if they could do a warm introduction actually yeah. go out and have lunch with them or have a coffee with them just try to get a little bit of FaceTime so you can build a relationship that goes beyond just one single transaction because the best brokers that I know and, and yeah. George I'm sure your 35 year career has been built on this is you've you're building long-term relationships as opposed mm-hmm. to just being a single transaction broker and that that's how a lot of these brokers are going to approach it yeah no a- absolutely and and it's really almost like dating um and you know if, if you're coming in and asking for um you know, the keys to the house on the first date, (laughs) you're likely not going to get it. Um, So, you know, understand that with a client, I mean, I mean, I I don't know if you can see, but you know, I have three rows of files behind me. Those are my active clients on the brokerage side, active only. There's probably about 30 of them. I also have some semi-active ones that are about the same amount. And this is what my team and I deal with. And if somebody calls me and says, send me properties, I'm not going to send them any, I'll be upfront with them and say, you know, I'm happy to send you the properties that fit the criteria, but let's find out what your criteria is mm-hmm. before you do that. You know, I'm, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. So what are you looking to do? You know, we have to vet them out. We have to uh, uh, make sure that we're a good fit. Also, you know, I'm not go- my, my clients I work with, um, you know, I don't typically, you know, some buyers have the, you know, that are opportunistic, I want a deal. I want a deal. Um, I hear that at least once a week from somebody calling me up for, you know, as a new client. And I, I always tell them, well, what do you consider a deal? You know, and their response usually is, oh, a deal. And I said, no, no. <laughs> a deal to you is not necessarily a deal to me. What do you consider a deal? What are you looking to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Um, I then will make sure that they have the funds. You know, mm-hmm. they should be prepared to show me funds. You know, and I, I, I explain this to my new agents all the time. I give, I give a lot of training classes with new agents. You know, if I'm looking, if, and, and a lot of times the newer agents are working with smaller companies or smaller investors. Um, and, and, you know, so if they're looking even on a lease, you know, if I'm doing a lease out here in California, um, let's say it's a small retail lease, 3000 square feet, it's still going to be in a nice area, $5 plus triple nets a month. So, you know, that's $15,000 a month, $180,000 a year, five-year lease term, turns out to about $960,000 with increases. Go and try and test drive a Bugatti without knowing. <laughs> I mean, that's, spot what, on. that's what they're asking for. Um, so, you know, if you want to go on a tour, if I want to take a client on a tour, I want to make sure that before I step out of this door, that they are capable of executing that lease. Um, you know, same goes for the acquisition. You know, part of it is what are you looking to acquire? Why are you looking to acquire it? What are you looking to um, <clears throat> achieve with this? What other properties do you currently own? What's your portfolio look like? Um, these are all questions that you should be able to answer and ask right away. And and I work with investors that are first-time investors that have, you know. A few hundred thousand dollars to invest to others that are you know pulling down 20 million dollar cash properties mm-hmm. it it i'll work with anybody as long as they're qualified and 
we get along. <laughs> well, there's being old in the in this business. <laughs> well, you you've earned it. You've earned it. Uh, there, but there's a really great message in there for for brokers, agents, as well as investors, is that there's there's a process and there's a level of professionalism that's going to separate the figurative tire kickers from those that are actually mm -hmm. qualified and capable of buying. But on the other end of the spectrum, it's, it's a good, or other end of the, the uh, coin is a message to brokers that you need to also be approaching this from a professional standpoint, that you need to be doing all this due diligence. And if you're in an investor, you should actually be skeptical if you're talking to a broker that isn't asking these questions, because you, you've got to really ask, is this broker capable of even finding me a property? And if he does find a property, is this even going to be a good property? Because he hasn't even asked any of these basic questions. Yeah. So it, it it goes back to the comment that, that we had, George, is that it's it's a relationship. You can't ask for the keys to the house on the first date. It's a relationship. And you should really find someone that you can see that compatibility with and you're mm -hmm. willing to move forward with them and think beyond just one transaction is every Absolutely. investor that I know uh, is, is always successful investor. I should say mm -hmm. is always thinking uh, next deal after this one. Yeah. And if you want to have a team around you and that's a lawyer, it's an accountant, it's a broker. If you want to have a team around you, you don't want to be changing those people out every time. So find no. someone that you're willing to commit to and build that relationship uh, with the long term in mind. Absolutely. And I, and I think that uh, if I if I can throw this out, you know, when you do find that person that you do work well together with, you know, use them and have the loyalty because you're going to get that back. You're going to see they have the first looks on properties that are off market that someone may be looking to sell um, someone may, you know, that that they know about um, before it gets listed, before it gets put out to the mm -hmm. open general populace. Um, that is something that it adds value. It, it creates that value. And when I'm working with uh, a lot of the uh, clients as well, you know, one of the things that I always say as well is that, you know, if you're using me to just find a property, you don't need me. You can find somebody else or anyone, or for that matter, take the time and do it yourself and you can find the property. Um, it's not that difficult if you know where to look and we can help you show you that. But if you want someone who can find the right property for you that matches and fits your goals and what you're trying to accomplish, then that's going to be me. And because I'm going to ask more questions about your business and your investment and what you're planning on doing than anybody else will, because um, that's the approach we try and take, because it is, you know, I, I'm. Uh, you know, 100% of my refer, uh, business is referral based or probably 99% now. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, it, it's I will work with my clients and we are very loyal to that. We try and give them the best, you know, our company when we started it, the CBI stood for clients best interest. Love and uh, so I think that's uh, that that that's somebody that's the type. Of, and there are a lot of good agents out there that have that in mind. You need to find them. You don't look for an agent that can just find you properties. Look for an agent that can find you the right properties and then work with them. Yeah, and and I can see why you've had such a successful career because your mentality is is exactly client facing. You're how can you help the client the best way? And and I I proudly say this about the industry as a whole is that there's a ton of awesome brokers out there. Yeah, it's I'm not saying self serving uh, that that I'm that you have to use me or or you have to use George. Uh, there's a ton of great brokers out there, but you just you have to find them. So it's it's it takes a bit of work, but really do it yeah. because it it just like George is saying, it, it's a difference between making the right decision and the wrong decision. Uh, we have had a number of awesome questions come in here, George. So oh, if it's okay with okay. you, maybe we can just uh, uh, shift over to, to get some of these questions. And uh, if you do have any questions for George, please feel free to throw that in the chat as well. We'll try to get to as many as we can. Uh, first, wanted to say uh, thanks to Bev, uh, who's uh, helping to, to moderate on this uh, and she put in a link to your uh, LinkedIn and CBI's uh, website. So I'd encourage you to connect with George okay. and thanks Bev for your help on that. Uh, great question from Darren. Uh, vacancy reports for industrial for some places are less than 3%, but that, ex uh, but that excludes some smaller functional obsolescent buildings. How does a mom pop take that data and get real data for smaller deals? This, this is a great question because this, this, this is applicable for a lot of smaller investors. This is very applicable for a lot of smaller investors. And, you know, the, the, the hard part is um, 
you know, understanding the marketplace, you know, for a smaller mom and pop, they may have to look outside the immediate area and kind of or and or look to see properties that may be zoned correctly, but have been repositioned in, in the past. Um, you know, we're just doing that a lot in the Los Angeles submarket where um, it was a smaller industrial warehouse, maybe has uh, a roll up, not a dock high. And, you know, instead of, uh, you know, and, but it, now it's been converted to a retail, but it's still kind of bordering that industrial and distribution area. Um, you know, if you see those opportunities, that may be a good opportunity to step up to as well to to backfill your needs. Um, now, when you take that data, the, the hard part is, um, again, you know, a lot of the data is driven toward the larger industrial overall marketplace. And, and you're right, it doesn't include a lot of the smaller or functionally op, uh, uh, obsolete buildings. Um, it's really knowing the market and finding the people that can help you find those properties um, and, and what is best then for you to be able to fill that in you know there's always little pockets elsewhere you know i had a special client need that needed uh some manufacturing uh um but they wanted to be specifically in santa monica and you know the the the, the uh interesting part was that left me four options so made my job a little bit easier uh, <laughs> but also you know we gave them options outside the area you know here's what you can do for the right zoning in these areas and there's the cost differential um what are you looking to accomplish so it, a lot of it is reaching out and finding the good agents that will actually give you that data and, and come back. You know, the data and what you read and see on the news is not necessarily what the brokers are seeing and hearing. Um, and there's a lot of that goes um, there, there's a lot that goes into that. You know, in the past, it used to say that, you know, brokers have a better indication of value because we're dealing in the present versus appraisers who are always dealing in the past. Um, and, you know, and, and we see that, that there's always a little bit of a lag in, in, in valuations. And I do believe that. So, you know, understand that what you may hear and see in the news, um, a lot of that is geared toward get, getting news readership. Mm -hmm. um, and it may be a little different than what the brokerage community is seeing and feeling. So really reach out to them because they're the ones who have the boots on the ground and can really help you understand the current marketplace and what's going on. Yeah, I found it so interesting with with this industry is that we have a tendency to always focus on these massive deals that happen. Yeah. So there'll be like a hundred million dollar transaction, and that's what brokers are talking about, or that's what's in the news. But that's not that's not reality, right? It'd be the equivalent of only yeah. talking about like a house that sold for fifty million dollars and trying to extract some value on how what that means for your five hundred thousand dollar house. Yeah. But there's just there's they're not the same. So I, I agree with your point that brokers can be a great resource. I'd also encourage you darren just to even start building your own uh database so when you see a, a listing in call your your interest in one specific area if you see a listing come up that's in the size that you're chasing just add that to an excel sheet and start doing that over time mm -hmm. so you can start seeing what they're asking for what the specs of the building were so you can start comparing it you might not have active deal information but it's reasonable to assume that the deals are going to happen fairly close to what the asking rates are and just start building your own database over time and you might be able to share some of that information with other people at horse trade some data back and forth down the road i think there's just a lot of value yeah. in, in building out your own little system on that uh, but but great question and, and thanks george for that detailed really answer uh, i saw there's one more question from uh darren as well thanks for the great questions too darren really appreciate it uh love the story of uh raising is it raising canes is that how you raising canes uh it's actually named after his dog it's a chicken tender company no kidding uh originally out of louisiana now based out of plano texas um they have a little bit over uh, 400, well, about 500 locations right now, but yes. Wow. Well, so he loved the story. Uh, what other trends do you see happening? And actually, uh, Wyatt, Wyatt's uh, the podcast producer here. So th uh, thanks for all your help on this too, Wyatt. Can you also pull up the other question that I saw there, somewhat related uh, from uh, Neil that I believe asked the question? Uh, with the unpredictability in Ukraine, does that change your strategies for 2022 and beyond? So I, th I think we'd probably uh, put both those uh, questions yeah. and, and we could probably even wrap up with that because we're just about at the top of the hour here. So maybe your your outlook, what's happening, you don't necessarily need to address Ukraine specifically, but just all this 
uncertainty and turmoil in the world. How, what do you see that doing? And then tying into Darren's question as well, any trends for the rest of 2022 that you see? Yeah. Uh, number one, first and foremost, um, use your use logic. Um, always, you know, it, it, meaning think about what is happening, what's going on and what will happen. Also look for companies, Darren, um, when that are adapting, you know, the, the, there, there's, uh, you know, they, they used to say, you know, survival of the fittest, it was actually survival of the most adaptable. Um, so, you know, you can look at companies that can adapt. I mean, key point, you have Blockbuster that was out there back in the early 2000s that people loved. They had the opportunity to buy Netflix, but they didn't see that coming or change on a streaming platform for pennies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Blockbuster declared bankruptcy about three years later and are no longer around. You know, they did not adapt. So you look at adaption. You know, um, I know a lot of clients about three years ago would come to me and say, you know, I don't want to invest in drugstores because I think the Amazon's getting into it and you're we're going to have a lot of uh, uh, competition from online drug uh, retailers. The problem is that, that they've been around forever, online drug retailers. I mean, CVS, Walgreens, they do online drugs. But the fact of the matter is, if I crack a tooth and I'm in pain, I'm not waiting two days or even overnight for that pain medication to get there. If my daughter has 105 fever, I'm not waiting for the antibiotics to come in. I'm going to the drugstore and going there. There's always going to be a need for that drugstore. Now we're starting to see that they're changing their footprints. And, and believe it or not, a lot of drugstores make a lot of their money on the sales. I mean, you, you still still have pretty healthy sales on good drugstores, two to three million on the um, other goods. Uh, and so when you start looking at that, then you start looking at, well, what else is happening? You have a growth industry of urgent care. Well, you're starting to see a lot of the drugstores now building that urgent care within the facility. It's a one-stop shop. Not only can you go get your shot, get a checkup from a RN or in some cases a doctor, but also get a prescription and get it filled that day, right there, that minute. So you're starting to see that adaption happen in the in the change in marketplace. And that's what we really look for. Um, you know, right now you're seeing a lot of taco wars um, come out. And, you know, a lot of what I do is, is to keep trend of AU, what, average unit volume of sales, what's trending upwards, what's trending down, where they are. You know, I think with the taco wars, the gourmet taco shops on the QSR, Darren, and, uh, you know, there's two companies to keep your eye out for. And that's going to be Rusty Tacos and Velvet Taco. Velvet Taco is probably my more favorite one of the two. They got some good PE money behind them that just came in. They just uh, uh, purchased a large uh, percentage of the company and they're using it for growth expansion. Um, I think it's easy to replicate. Um, they're doing over $4 million a unit in sales on average, which compared to, let's say, McDonald's is still under $3 million. So they're doing some great volume. Um, so I would look at them um, as uh, coming in. You're not seeing a lot of those uh, up for sale. Um, I think Dave's Hot Chicken um, is probably another brand that is going to really take off. Um, they have good celebrity and P&E money behind them. Um, we're starting to see them uh, roll out on a national level and scale. Uh, I think they're probably going to be as far as the chicken tenders and chicken sandwiches, um, other than the legacy brands like Popeye's and whatnot they're the ones that are going to be around for the long term. This, this talk is making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and uh, if we had a moment, the other question was uh, uh, regarding what we see in, on the, in the unpredictability in the future. And, you know, what I can say ultimately is that none of us have a crystal ball, whether, you know, and it's not just the Ukraine that's unpredictable. It could be something as much as, you know, um, you know, I, I remember Los Angeles in 1993, uh, right after the earthquake and right after the riots. You know, those two things did not help the real estate market at all. Um, completely unpredictable. You know, there's a lot of things that happen. So really go back to the core basics of purchasing the property. Make sure that uh, any investment that you're buying is you're buying it for the cash flow. You're buying it for the investment. You're buying it for the location. Um, you know, look for irreplaceable locations. Every building has a story. Every property has a story to tell. Um, and some of them may be amazing. You know, I, I remember one time 
uh, early in my career, I saw a property come up that was at a good cap rate and it was in Arkansas. And I thought, oh, Arkansas, there's only small towns there. Um, I ended up revisiting that about a week later and it was a Popeye's right outside the University of Arkansas's main entrance, irreplaceable location. Um, I should have paid more attention to it and really paid, uh, you know, and, and uh, had that opportunity to acquire that. Um, those are, you know, just stick to the fundamentals and you can't go wrong. That's a great message to end on. And e even though I, I am wrapping up, I, I want to continue this conversation down the road. So I'm going to reach out to you in the fall and, and see if you're interested in coming back on. Because I think there's a number more questions that I could certainly ask. <laughs> uh, uh, Darren put in <laughs> two taco emojis equals cash. Thanks for the insight. Uh, thanks to everybody that uh, that tuned in live or if you're uh, watching or listening to this after. I certainly appreciate it. Would really love it if you hit the like button. Consider subscribing. And if you're on the podcast, if you wouldn't mind giving this a rate as well uh rate it one if you didn't like it or rate it a five if you did like it any rating is a good rating for me uh and i just appreciate your time and uh in insight and most importantly george really do appreciate your time on this love well, chatting with you, and you know, thank the you for inviting me and having me on it was a pleasure and i had a lot of fun doing it well we'll certainly be in touch uh tell joe that next time i'm in la i'm coming to have uh, a drink in your guys's office absolutely we just got the bar set up in the lounge I'll, I'll book a date. All right. <laughs> okay. Sounds thanks good. again, George. Thanks. Take care. Take care.